Welcome to Translation Confidential. This is Peter Argandizo and Patrick Daly. Today's episode is how you should be thinking about machine translation for your organization. And I know we talk about machine translation a fair amount on this podcast. It's probably one of our more popular topics. But really, because it's so polarizing, because there's so much nuance to it. So today what we're hoping to do is talk a little bit about how you should be thinking about it. Because there's a lot of LSPs out there making sales pitches, telling you this is better than that. If at the end of this podcast we've educated you a little bit to ask better questions and make better decisions for your organization, then I think, check, we've done our job. So it seems like tech companies who pride themselves on tech and promise the stars with MT and even AI-enabled MT, I mean, that's, that's sexy, right? That's a sexy tagline. They don't actually use it themselves. A recent Slater article, we always quote Slater, a recent Slater article is really revealing. Um, Basically, he was talking about how with neural machine translation and captioning, um, some services like Google don't even use their own MT engine to power it. So weird, right? It's their engine. They don't use it. Interesting. So the question is, is MT merely a promise to get customers in the door only to substitute plain old vanilla machine translation and human editing? I mean, isn't really the goal for the customer to save money and time? Is how you get there really that important? In other words, does it matter if you used MT or maybe even just a single uh, linguist or you know one translator on the approach? So that's what we're going to discuss today. Patrick, I know you have a new story that's relevant. Take yeah, um... I pulled this one from CNBC um, a couple of weeks ago, and it was going through how Google actually shut down Google Translate in China, uh, which is obviously a very, very large market of, uh, of people who may use Google Translate, uh, but they shut it down due to low usage. Whether or not that's actually the case, there's uh, obviously some political considerations. I know Google has had um, a tough time kind of establishing themselves in China previously. So it's just interesting to see that, you know, they've shut down that service to a very large percentage of the global population. They just pulled the plug on it. Um, So it's very interesting on our topic of machine translation that now one of the big players in that market isn't even available in one of the largest populated countries in the world. That is interesting. A lot of complexity to that one, whether it's geo, geopolitical concerns or the technology or you know what comes of it. So very good. Great new story. Um, hey, Patrick, why don't you take us through, because I think a great place to start with this is because we're going to talk about service levels a lot. Mm-hmm. Why don't we just rip, rip through the different service levels as you know them? Yeah. Um, so, and I may be a little rusty because I've been out of out of the hey, game for I'm a bit. Here. But I, feel free to correct I, me. I got if your I'm back. Wrong. <laughs> I got you. Um, I got you. So we've got uh, machine translation. Obviously, um, that is where really there's no human input or interaction. There, you just pop a document or a phrase or sentence or whatever it might be into a machine translation engine, and it outputs in the other language that you want. Um, there's different kinds yep, of MT. Exactly. That's what I was going to jump in and say, right, Patrick? I mean, there's neural machine translation and whether you use Google's engine or DeepL or Microsoft Azure and you train it. I mean, that's really the key question, right? I mean, I know you had some experience with one of your clients where 
we had done some first line MT, and what we we had done is we we were training the engine, which in other words is where you take glossaries and translation memory database, and you instruct the engine about some things that you prefer. In other words, so. Mm-hmm. And one thing um, I'm not sure if we're going to cover on it later, but I did want to throw out for MT engines too is it's important to think about where that data goes and who gets it if you're just going to let's say google translate if you're putting in company specific or company sensitive information you may want to be pretty careful with that because google is databasing and indexing that so like just be when you're just throwing things over to a machine translation engine it's really important to know where that goes whereas certain lsps can have their own instance of machine translation engines that are not publicly available or uh you know just working completely over uh, over the entire internet that's a great point patrick you know as well even if someone does use a private engine like azure you may want to go over the fact that hey is it just our engine in other words is it going to be just our material or or are you co-mingling it because um you know there was that story we did was a few years ago of uh when people someone was translating employee records and it became public record um, that ended up in a lawsuit, which um, that's not great. So, yeah, really good point, Patrick. And, yeah, I mean, that can be as simple as if you don't want it to to in, to gather your info, you know, you can swap names, company names and things out to, like, work around that. But if you're just copy-pasting, that's definitely risky. Um, but in terms of service levels, the next one up um, is machine translation with post-editing. So that would be any one of the machine translation engines we just talked about. Plus, then there's a human going behind it and editing. So they're kind of putting the finishing touches on. They're typically not going to rewrite it because it's very abundantly clear that it is machine translation with post-editing. So it's still not going to be perfect, but it's going to be a lot better than machine translation. There's kind of a certain level of tolerance for pain that linguists have when they are post-editing machine translation. So you're, re- in my opinion, at least, you're really just still not getting the best effort from the linguist, but it's still going to be one step up from machine translation. Great. Uh, um, and and lastly, then, the... yep, the last one is uh, human translation. So it could be one linguist, two linguists, however many linguists you want, depending on the size of a project. Um, but that's obviously going to be the best quality translation. Um, so because it's only going through humans, it's, you know, context is taken into account where that's something that machine translation lacks. Um, if you're looking for a quick explanation of machine translation, I highly recommend our last episode where Mark from our team gave his uh, very, very good explanation of how machine translation works in his mind. Uh, but basically he was saying that, you know, it's combing through a database of all of these sentences that you know, are, are in the database and it's really pulling, uh, from different contexts for different words, different sentences, whatever it might be. So what you could get as an output could be a really big jumble from machine translation. Whereas, well, excuse me, whereas humans, uh, they're really taking into account context, what's coming before, what's coming after, and really the document as a whole. Great. Thank you very much, Patrick. Um, so building on that, I think a good place to start the discussion is sort of the typical sales pitch that comes from an LSP on MT. 
And, you know, I guess two things to think about. I guess you're lucky if you're getting a sales pitch. In other words, if they're explaining what they're doing and how they're doing you know, how they're doing it, you know, the promises are obvious, right? They're going to say, well, gosh, this is increased speed, increased efficiency, a much, much lower cost. What I would encourage you to do is double check all the things. Now, we're going to go over when you should use it, and that's obviously in the next segment. But some of the things that you have to do is keep an open mind on, you know, really, I guess the bigger question for me, and we're we're going to discuss this throughout the episode, is does it really matter how you get to the end result if you've accomplished your goals? So if your goal is a certain level of quality, a certain level of cost, a certain level of time, does it matter if you're using machine translation or if you're using human translation? Um, you know, and what are some of the decisions that you should go into that? And really, this whole episode came up because of that story I mentioned from Slater uh, about, about Google um, selling one thing and not really using their own tools that they sell to others to generate that content. So is that a bad thing? I don't know. I guess on the face of it, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But I think for the consumer, for the buyer of translation, you should go into these discussions with your eyes wide open and understanding how it applies to your specific situation. Yeah, and another good point that Mark brought up last week too that I wanted to resurface is you really need to think about it from the end user or the end consumer of translation and how they're going to interpret or understand what you're putting out there. Because, I mean, translation is it's a difficult task. You're taking one thing and putting it into another language, and you're really hoping that your your target audience is understanding it. So uh, it's really kind of what emphasis or value you want your end user or consumer to get out of the translation. That makes a lot of sense. So I think that's a great segue into the use cases we're talking about. In other words, like when should I use MT and when should I use human translation or when should I use a hybrid? Patrick, let's just jump in. We'll go through these bullets. I mean, for me, it starts with the level of risk, right? Um, You know this, Patrick, I'm sure even from the clients you have in web development, similar discussions to translation, right? Sort of what tool do you use? And I think the level of risk is really, really important. So when we have a conversation with our client that makes instant read HIV devices or testing kits, it's a little bit different conversation than when we talk about, say, you know, translating a flyer uh, or a menu for a school district. Both of the jobs are equally important. However, the level of risk, should there be a typo or a mistake, is far different. So... The question to ask yourself is what would happen if my content, if my translation is incorrect? What are the risks? What would happen? You know, would you open yourself up to some certain level of liability? I think that's always a great place to start the conversation. Yeah, and I mean, with the example you mentioned is how many millions of packages are they putting out for the HIV rapid test versus how many school menus are being put out there and what's the cost of reprinting versus, um, you know, a couple, maybe a couple dozen versus a couple million. Um, Mm -hmm. To me, I think of it as it's, it's kind of hard to conceptualize because translation is a service. It's not something tangible that you can be like, oh, I'm going to, go grab my translation. It's kind of, it's an intangible thing. So I think of it kind of like, uh, in my mind is, um, like transportation, 
that can mean so many different things. It can mean an airplane and it can mean a skateboard. And you really have to think about the context and what's the best mode of transportation for what you need. If you need to go across country, you probably don't want a skateboard. But if you need to go to the corner to pick up groceries, maybe that skateboard works in that instance. So it's really kind of just taking that step back and thinking of what's the right tool for the job. Absolutely. We've, we've, that's a common theme we've used in this podcast over the years. Um, the, se- the second point that I would ask is, will the document be updated? And the reason I ask is because we've also, another theme we've talked about is the value of your translation memory. And something to note is the translation memory that comes out of an MT workflow, especially a straight MT workflow, is really of lower value than translation memory that has human oversight. So the question becomes, if you are looking at documents that will be updated often, a smarter approach might be to do even the lowest level of human translation, in other words, just one translator reviewing his or her own work versus a translator and editor reviewing their uh, the work. So, you know, the lower price point would just be the one linguist. And the reason is because you'll have more confidence in the translation memory. And what happens is on job two, you should see phenomenal improvements in time, excellent discounts due to translation memory reuse, and that, con- and that consistency piece that you're looking for. So if the document's going to be updated often, I would definitely think about using human translation or higher value, higher reuse value translation versus using a machine. If the document's not going to be updated, it's a one-off thing, low risk, well, then maybe that's a good candidate for machine translation plus post-editing. For me personally, I would tell you that anything that's customer-facing, I would use machine translation very sparingly. Um, There's very few use cases that say you should use machine translation without any human editing. Patrick yeah, that's Fox, funny. I'm think? I'm thinking of uh, in the translation world, uh, we see a lot of uh, posts poking fun at machine translation and how terrible some of them are on on consumer products that people they go to the store and they buy it and they're like, what? Why does this say this? And one of my favorite ones I've seen is, um, you know, on most uh, on most things that you buy at the store, it says made in and then fill in the blank for whatever country it's made in. Um, and I saw one that was clearly machine translated into Spanish because the English said made in Turkey. And then the Spanish one said made in Turkey is in the food, not the name of the country, which are two different words in Spanish. So it was just very funny to see that is... how, how terrible and bad machine translation can be uh, when you put it out there on, on a that consumer is good. awesome. Oh, my gosh. That is so good. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's it, right? We talk about context, and that's like the typical kind of MT gaffe, right, (laughs) is not understanding. We're talking about the country turkey and not that lovely little animal that we'll be eating (laughs) here in a month or so. Um, That's wonderful. That's really good. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a great point. Uh, And for me, that segues into who is the audience and what are their expectations, right? So, I mean, you know, if – if, if you're talking about, for example, we're talking about the folks that make the instant read HIV test kits. Like if they're having, if they're doing a, a conference and it's to a bunch of physicians uh, and they're talking about their product and there's a slide deck, 
you know, I probably wouldn't have that slide deck translated by using machine translation, right? I mean, that's a pretty highly educated group um, of constituents and their expectations are probably really high because we're talking about testing for a a life-threatening illness Um, versus, again, you know, um, we've quoted projects for clients where it's, say, a park district and they have just hundreds of pages of content, including like older blog posts on a website. Well, maybe the level of, you know, accuracy can be a little bit lower. There is less risk. So again, I, I mean, I hope everyone knows is that we're not quick to just say, hey, MT's dumb. You know, don't use it. No, that's not true. It's a tool and it has to be used correctly. So for me, the audience is another important discussion. Yeah, and I think to that point, sometimes it can be strategically uh, valuable to not do translation at all as opposed to putting out a bad product of translation. I think you kind of for your, your company's reputation, it may be more valuable to you know, save that money, roll over that budget to the next quarter, and then apply it to translation rather than spend a little on machine translation and have it come back to bite you. That's a great point. I mean, your LSP, your language service provider, should be talking to you about those things. In other words, that that that's a great way of looking at it, Patrick. Sometimes the answer is not to translate. And, you know, as an LSP ourselves, right, it's hard to say, hey, we're not going to take the revenue. But the correct and the conscientious answer and the one that we often provide to clients is, hey, let's do less or maybe even nothing. And the less might equate to, Look at Google Analytics if we're talking about a website and find out what pages are actually getting hit by those countries and maybe just translate those 10 pages. Just get started. Do those 10 and then see, do you get greater engagement? Hey, we're getting good engagement. All right, well, let's do more pages. Because again, like we've often talked about as well, translation cost is once you spend the money, it's a sunk cost, right? It's, It's already out there. You've already paid for it. And if nobody consumes it, you know, maybe the answer is the better answer would have been to like look at, you know, where you're getting engagement and spend money where you're getting engagement. Yeah, I think uh, one thing we found through the many websites that we've worked on is, you know, typically the first place to look of where you may want to pull back on translation is the blog or the news or things like that that kind of go out of date or may not be as relevant in one year. Whereas if you're on your core services page, that's probably one that you're going to want to translate makes a lot of sense. And that brings me to the next topic, which is, you know, can the MT be trained? And we talked about a little bit about that, and the answer is yes. Um, but there are tools out there, um, you know, and I'm, I'm not going to pick on any plugins. It's not our favorite plugin for WordPress. Our fav- We have our favorite. Our favorite is WPML. We always talk about that. But there's another one, and I'm not going to mention the name, that a few of our clients have been using. And it's incredibly simplistic. Oh, my gosh. Just connect us to your WordPress site, and lo and behold, you will have translations. And it is straight up just Google MT. No training, no interaction with translation memory. Translator interface is in, a, in, in, in their platform, so you can't use translation memory tools. I mean, you talk about cutting yourself off at the knees. I mean, it is... It's a failed approach, and we've talked through a lot of 
the, uh, those use cases with clients because for whatever reason that plugin has picked up some popularity. Um, but that would be my question is if someone is employing MT, you know, and this goes back to, I think I didn't finish my point from up, up above about the, you know, the LSP sales pitch, you know, earlier in the podcast, we talked about the sales pitch and I said, oh, you'll be lucky if they tell you about it. Cause the flip side of that is a lot of LSPs won't tell you. They're like, oh yeah, here's our translation rate. And then they compare you to someone who's using human translation and they're like, oh God, those guys are expensive. No, no, it's it's not an apples to apples comparison. And I would demand that level of transparency. Who is doing this translation? And if you don't get that level of transparency, I'd run really fast. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, going back to my uh, transportation analogy, you know, if you're looking for an airline ticket for the price of a skateboard, you're going to be disappointed. So it's really knowing of what, what you're buying. Um, but like you said, though, what stuck out to me here is that you can put a lot of process around machine translation to really elevate it and get it to a pretty solid level of quality. What that means is putting a translation memory first. So when whenever you run the machine translation crawl, you're looking for anything that pops up from the translation memory first. And then the other safeguard that's kind of bookending it <clears throat> is having that human linguist on the back end after the machine translation to really clean it up and put that level of polish on it. So, again, like you've said, we're not saying never, ever, ever, ever do machine translation. It's if you're going to do it, be smart about it and be smart about the situations you're using it in. That's right. And know exactly how it works and how it'll be updated and uh, implemented. And, you know, the next thing is, yeah, will it be trained? But, you know, who's going to do it? You know, will the LSP do it? Um, you know, who who is there a feedback loop? If people are using the site and finding issues, are they feeding that 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 content or those changes back to the LSP? And those are all important parts of the process uh, to make that successful. Um, you know, for for, for for my opinion, I guess it really blends into the next thing, which we always talked about the popular Venn diagram, the quality cost time one. And it really applies here too. Because really, you're trying to balance hey, I want decent translation. You know, I don't know anyone that comes to us and says, hey, I would really like just the worst translation you could possibly put. Like, no one says that. No matter what their price point is, even if their price point is really low and they want MT, they still have a certain level of expectation on the quality. So balancing out in that Venn diagram, you know, where the three circles meet, you know, that's supposedly nirvana, right, where you're getting the quality and the cost and the time, uh, turnaround time that you're expecting. Um, same here. Same here. It really applies to how, how you choose the service levels and how you interact with your LSP. Yeah, and I think what's important about that Venn diagram, too, is that if you're pulling really strongly to or away from one of those three that it obviously impacts the other two. So it's not just like, oh, I still want really good quality, but it has to be super cheap and really fast. You kind of, it's it's a balance and there is that sweet spot that's right in the middle. Um, but really if you go, oh, I, you know, turnaround time is my most important thing, that's obviously going to pull down quality and possibly increased cost because of rush fees and things like that. So it's a give and take. They're all three levers that you can pull on to do different things. But, but like you said, it's the goal should try and be to get that sweet spot right in the middle. Absolutely. And I think, um, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about 
just some use cases, like just talking through some project types. Now, there's obviously there's thousands of project types. We picked three that we'd like to talk about and how MT plays into them. And I thought we'd start with uh, proxy website translation. So um, just to understand how that works. So how does proxy website translation work? Essentially what that is, is you have a website and maybe it's not in a CMS where there's a connector. So it's not in WordPress. It's, you know, not in Kentico or Joomla or Drupal or, you know, any of the others that have a connector. What proxy does is it actually takes a snapshot of your website and it puts up exactly what it sounds like, a proxy. In other words, we would translate the site. It'll look identical, but it'll be a different URL. But through DNS changes, in other words, remember DNS is the address book on the, on the internet. Through DNS changes, your end user doesn't know. We have plenty of clients that use this approach. And some of the things that are cool about it is it can be a Google Translate alternative. So in other words, we have a bunch of clients that is like, hey, I have my website in 60 languages. And whenever the answer is 60, you know it's Google. Because I think that's their core set or the set that you can enable. But also, as we've talked about in this podcast, in our blog, we've talked about it a lot that, you know, Google's sunsetting that, just using that plugin. And we're st- it's, it's funny, it's still not completely across the board shut down, so you still see sites like that. But we get calls like, oh, yeah, my website doesn't work anymore. You know, I used to have 60 languages on there. And, you know, this is a place where, hey, listen, if you cared that little, I, and I, sorry, I'm not, this is not a value judgment. I'm just saying if you cared that little that your only investment was to activate something on your site so that you had 60 languages in a pulldown, um, you know, that's not really, you're not really a discerning buyer of translation. You're essentially just saying, hey, I'm checking a box. I need to have this. This is what I'm doing. I know the translation's terrible. Well, proxy translation allows you to bring this whole discussion that we've talked about today where you might only do some pages or you might do some with machine translation. You might do some with humans. Like you can have a very, very hybrid approach. It really gives you a lot of power. But the cool thing about proxy the cool thing about proxy is that it's always listening to your site. So if you have any changes, it can trigger a job. So it's kind of a cool way to kind of meld the worlds of MT and human translation. And Patrick, I know you you worked on a project or two in your day. I mean, anything to add about proxy? Yeah, it can be pretty cool. And you can you can set up that frequency of how often you want it to crawl and, and pull. And you can do a lot of... Um, kind of automated processes to be like yeah once a month i just want to pull and we should translate the differential whether that's machine or human is uh obviously the client's decision but you can go like you said at a page level and go i want this page human i want this page machine translation it's very easy to just pop those through uh, the translation management system and get them right back and rolling um i know another big use case that we talk about a lot is uh gisting so it's really you just need to know the overarching idea of a document or a set of documents that's in a different language. Um, I know a couple instances that I ran into of this was uh, during mergers and acquisitions for companies. They just need to know, oh, is this actually the employee handbook? Is this actually their policy on fill in the blank? They just really need to know that the company has those policies in place. They're not necessarily interested in the the nitty gritty details of those policies. They just want to know that that is what they're looking at. So um, that's uh, another 
uh, use case, at least that I've seen from how just a pure MT workflow could be positive. Yeah, I like that. That's a, a, a really good use case. And the last one we were going to discuss was captioning. So, um, you know, there's obviously with co- with COVID, right, um, the past few years, there was this huge increase in meetings and multinational meetings and the demand for remote simultaneous interpretation and, you know, even Teams right now. Teams out of the box. You can turn on captioning. You can turn on translation. It uses Azure's MT functionality, the machine translation. And, you know, it's not great. Like some some languages are better than others. It depends how the strength of the MT engine. But, you know, I would invite you to understand that, again, there are other ways of doing this. You just have to be talking to the right provider. I mean, we have a great partner in uh, Interpernet. We've mentioned them before. And, you know, they can provide um, a scalpel because that's kind of what you need. It's like, hey, we're going to do this for Spanish, but for these other languages, we realize this doesn't work. So we'd like to provide an actual interpreter. And I mean, they can even do real-time captioning with, um, you know, using MT and human power. You can use human power captioning as well. Or if it's a recorded meeting, you can do the captions after the uh, fact, I know that's something that you worked on for a couple clients, Patrick. And there's really a lot of ways to approach it. Just make sure to have an open and honest conversation with your LSP and talk about all the things we talked about. Hey, who's your audience? What's the risk if I get this wrong? Um, you know, what's my my timeline? Does it have to be real time? Like those are all the important questions. Um, you know, the nuance is everything here. All right, this is the time for... Anything to add, Mr. Daly? No, I think it's, it's time, time for the, for the, the final countdown or the big takeaways. Do you yeah, want to go first? what do you got? What do you got um, for me, Patrick? Yeah, I would say... Sure, I'll do, I'll do it if you want me to. All right, all you. <laughs> so for me, my big takeaway is really... Um, and again, we've talked about it a lot. It's been a common theme is discussion. Discussion and communication with your LSP. And expect them to provide the level of transparency you need in these discussions. Hey, how is this MP being created? How is the translation memory being maintained? How will we? How will this interplay going forward? What will this look like? By the way, what's the contrast if I use human translation? Can you show me the difference in cost? Like that's huge. So again, it's always about communication. So for for me, that was the big takeaway from today. Yep, I would go with. Um... There's many layers to the translation onion as we we try and peel those back every episode of the show. We try and and get to the core of uh, what's needed and for for whom it's needed. Uh, So my my big takeaway is that there is, because it's a service, and like I said, it's it's not a tangible uh, commodity, it's really important to understand what you're getting and what you're buying and don't expect something for the price of the skateboard to get you across country as as fast and efficiently as an airplane. Absolutely, 100%. I love that, Patrick. That's a that's a great takeaway. And sorry I interrupted you. I budged right in front of you. <laughs> no, that's all good. So, but that's that's probably probably typical for me. So, all right. Well, thank you very much everyone for joining us for this episode of Translation Confidential. This is Peter and Patrick signing off.